Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Now, have you been looking at your wardrobe lately, wondering what you're going to wear when you eventually get back out there in the world and thinking about whether you need to be rushing off to buy even more stuff when you've basically been living in the same pair of leggings for, let's face it, more than a year? Do you need more stuff when the shops are open? Or maybe you've been thinking there are already enough clothes in the world and you want to get off the fast fashion hamster wheel and have a more sustainable approach to your clothes in the post-pandemic world. Well, we've been thinking about that stuff too. So on today's episode, we hear from Laura Egan of Studio Minty, who makes it her business to help people, including informing them about the reality of the issues. Fast fashion is is a feminist issue at the heart of it. 80% of garment workers are women women aged between 18 to 24, and um, they're subject to horrific conditions um, in the factories, but also, you know, there's a lot of uh, sexual exploitation and harassment in the workplace, and, you know, long days for little pay. Most of them earn under $2 a day. Now that's all in a moment, but for now, I want to remind you about our event tonight. We're celebrating 500 episodes of the Women's Podcast with a special live recording, and we want all of you to be there. Older and Bolder is our event, which gathers women from the ages of 19 to 81, including Olivia O'Leary, Hilary Fannin and Angela Scannon. Brilliant women, and there's like 10 of them all together, and they're going to be talking about the joys and challenges of ageing. Our Zoom invites were snapped up in minutes, but don't worry if you missed out because we're streaming the event live on our Facebook page and the Irish Times Facebook page so you can watch from there. And we want to say a huge, mahoosive women's podcast thank you to Brown Thomas, Ireland's leading beauty destination, who have gifted us with thousands of euro worth of beauty prizes to give away a special 500th episode spot prizes. So thank you, Brian Thomas. We cannot wait to walk your beautifully scented halls again soon. So please do come along to Older and Boulder, our 500th episode. Tell everyone about it using the hashtag ITOlderBoulder. It's going to be a very special evening. Now, Laura Egan started off her career with Isabel Morant in Paris, that huge fashion house. But as she came face to face with the economic, ethical, ecological realities of the fashion world, she soon fell out of love with it all. And when she lost her fashion job in London last year because of the pandemic, the time was right to launch Studio Minty, her company which helps people be more sustainable with their clothes and also informs them of the grim realities of the fashion industry that many of us don't think about when we're buying our clothes clothes. As Laura says, there's already enough clothes in the world to last us for centuries. So while we all know and love the thrill of the new, it's becoming increasingly hard to justify the fashion industry as it currently exists. I was fascinated by Laura's story and her take on this subject, and I know that you will be too. 
I began by asking Laura to tell me what exactly Studio Minty does. Thanks so much for having me on, Roisin. I'm delighted to be here. Minty is my baby. Um, Studio Minty is something that I set up during COVID last year. Um, so it's basically, it's a, it's my business. Um, it's a sustainable fashion hub um, where people can come to learn about fashion, to buy pre-loved fashion. And also we provide an upcycling service where we actually alter people's clothes to transform them into something new. Um, so our whole message is that we really should be using the clothes that are already in the world. Um, so yeah, it's a combination of kind of education, service and uh, product as well. And you have had quite the journey to coming to Minty because you started off very conventionally in terms of the fashion industry. But let's go right back because I know you're in your family home at the moment and your family have been very influential on your love of creativity and design. So tell me what you were like as a little girl. Were you always cutting things up and sewing things together? Absolutely. It's hilarious because there's multiple photos of my iconic outfits when I was like three. So, okay, maybe not three, maybe like four or five. But um, you know what? My mum was so supportive of my of my fashion choices, let's say. Um, there's there's one iconic outfit that, that's photographed so many times, which is, um, I'll just describe it for you. So it was, and by the way, this was probably most secondhand clothes. So um, from a young age, I was like, all into the charity shops and finding the gems and stuff but this was a pink fur coat um on top of a kilt so traditional Scottish kilt this was when I was in Montessori so probably four um a glittery lurex uh, red tights and then the 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 pièce de résistance is clogs okay orange wooden clogs that were given to us by a student we used to take in students at, at our house um for the summer and things and they gave us these clogs as like an ornament um, you know, like they're wooden, but I decided I wanted to wear them. So, you know, multifunctional. That's amazing. I love all the yeah. influences. You've got Scotland, you've got Amsterdam, <laughs> you've got the lyric, the disco bit going on. I was multicultural, Fantastic. you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I feel like um, it was my mum who, who definitely supported and fueled my my creative output um, with my clothes. But my grandma has always lived with us. So she was a massive influence um, from, I'd say, about seven she started to teach me how to sew and embroider and knit and crochet. And I loved it because I, you know, I was constantly watching her do it. So she'd be mending, you know, my family's clothes or her friend's clothes. And I was always intrigued um, about her work. And she didn't work, let's say, a job, but she worked as like basically a seamstress. Um, so she was the one who kind of taught me those technical skills. And um, through that, then it definitely led me to where, where I am today, 100%. Tell me more about your grandma. What's her name and is she still living with you? She is. She is doing amazingly. She's 94 now and her name's Phil. Um, and she is the most inspirational woman. Um, and she's still sewing, which I'm just in awe of. Um, so, yeah, we do some work together on, on different, like she'd ask me, you know, oh, what do you think of this kind of pattern or this? What do you think of that stitch on this? And, uh, and I love it. I love the relationship we have. Um, so, she, yeah, she's just been an amazing influence. And she really, she taught me the whole concept of using what we already have, really. When I think back about it, um, you know, she was constantly saving the scraps from things or doing little embroideries on on cushions that would, would be then turned into, you know, curtains or, you know, whatever. You know, it was always very, very, she was always very um, clever and smart about her 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 sewing and her, her fabric usage. 
I also am interested in the fact that she lives with you because of the whole intergenerational living thing, which we've kind of moved away from so off so much. Like my mother lives with my sister and her husband and their three kids. And it's just an amazing scenario for her to be able to have her own room with her own stuff, but also to be able to share in that family space as well. Um, Is that the way it worked for you? Like, would you recommend it? Because I think a lot of people just think, oh, people get older, they have to go to nursing homes. And I know sometimes that has to be the way for care reasons, but... You know, do you think we've moved away from that too much? Absolutely. I um, I'm I feel so lucky to have had the time with her. Um, you know, and we're, and we're looking to be able to house her. It's always been in kind of a granny flat beside us. So she has had her own space, which is amazing. I think it's been amazing for her own life. Um, you know, as we get older, it's nice to be able to have still have our independence, I suppose. Um, and and it's almost like I I, I had two mums for a while and a dad. So you know, I was super lucky. Um, and and also, you know, in a way it's traditional but then in a way it's actually you know it's 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 not at all it's it's kind of just I think it should be considered now I know obviously sometimes it can happen and and there's a whole mother-in-law problem that can sometimes happen as well but um that wasn't the case so we're very lucky to have her there um, well all of those things are work work outable that like you just need boundaries and you just need people to have their own space but anyway i'm just i'm really interested in that and i'm so glad it worked out for you and when you think of the richness and the skills and the passion that she passed down to you and that would never have happened if she wasn't in your space you know so it's really beautiful to see how those things can happen tell me about then was it always going to be fashion because you ended up in ncad did were you one of those people in school who knew this is what i'm doing this is what i'm going to do do you know i I always knew I wanted to go to art college so I was always obviously creative but it wasn't always definitely fashion so because I was painting on the side and I was kind of making I was always making something um my mum always says I she'd find me in my room like as a young like as you know a child just make constructing things with my hands and it was always I was always on my own I'm a real introvert so I loved my own time I loved building things and problem solving and so Design was definitely for me, but it wasn't necessarily fashion. I was between textiles, jewellery and fashion. Um, so it was all, uh, yeah, all around the design realm. And what was great about NCAD was that it gave you time at the beginning to test out different disciplines. So it was then that it became clear that I did want to do fashion, you know, despite the older years warning us heavily on on the sleepless nights and the crazy work involved in it. Um, I still felt no this is what I want to do this is this is where I'm passionate um so yeah and and to be honest it was it, it was during the leaving cert that I realized I couldn't actually do the portfolio alongside my leaving cert so I took a year out um to do a portfolio course in Bray um and I met one of the most amazing and influential women I've ever met Annette Vella who's the teacher out in Bray um and she just basically taught me not to be precious about design about creative work and gave me the best work ethic ever. So um, there's a, there was a time where I always, I always talk about where it was one of the first days and um, we were all given an object to draw. So I was given my hands and grass. So I had to put grass in my hands and draw them. And like I came in with like three really good drawings. Like I thought they were amazing. And I was like just chuffed myself, went up, showed her and she was like, like I expected 40, where's the rest? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, just I'll just go get them, you know, screw it, like really scrambling to. Anyway, I ended up doing about 80 more drawings and she chose one of them that was included in my portfolio. So, you know, it's a real laborious, but, you know, learning from 
repetition thing that she taught me. Yeah. And when you did get to college then um, and subsequently went actually into the fashion industry, tell me about that experience and, and how it was for you. Yeah. So college was three years. Um, it was a great course, NCAD. Uh, they teach you across the whole realm of, of fashion. It's design mixed with also technical sales, like sewing and pattern cutting. Um, and it was hard work. It was definitely sleepless nights, but it was all worth it in the end. You know, I had my degree collection and we showed at the Westbury Car Park. And that final showing of my collection walking down a runway was like the most insane feeling. It was just everything's worth it. It's my passion embodied in physical clothes which is just amazing but in saying that I felt a little ill-equipped when I graduated to deal with the industry let's say so I had a warped perception of of the jobs available um the opportunities out there for for young graduates and um I found myself a little bit lost um but nonetheless to be quite honest I knew my goal was to get out of Ireland because you know, the Irish fashion design industry is small. It's amazing. We have exceptional designers, but it's not big enough to create enough employment for young graduates at the moment. Um, so really my goal was Paris because of one reason, and it's so hilarious when I think back, like how naive I was. I went on a fabric buying trip in my final year of college to source some fab- special fabrics. And uh, it was a day, like I flew over, we flew over in the morning and back in the evening and I just fell in love like it was like uh, I don't know like I feel like a lot of people get this with Paris but I was like this is where I'm supposed to be this is my destiny so um I ended up graduating and spending the summer applying cold calling with my terrible French um into these brands like these huge brands I mean who did I think I was but um anyway I ended up bagging uh, an internship in um Isabel Morant so a huge fashion house over there they called me and it was a paid internship thanks to um, French French laws, uh, labour laws, but it was assistant to the head of the atelier. So that was like, yeah, an insane call to get um, after all the different emails and things. And, and to be honest, emails I wasn't getting back um, to get this call was amazing. So instantly, yes, I could definitely, uh, I, I was delighted. Um, moved over and it was just kind of like, I was so naive. Like I walked into the atelier on day one and it's full, you know, the atelier is quite traditional. So it's full of like really, you know, uh, Parisian and, and quite older uh, people who work in it. So, you know, I was coming in thinking with my B2 leaving Sir French, I'm like class, I'm great. This is going to be amazing. And next thing, like can't speak a word. Someone says something to me and I'm there like, um, so look, it was amazing. And I learned, I, I quickly learned that I, I needed to speak French. Um, and I got massive experience there, technical side, I pattern cut, I sewed and that kind of thing. And the intricacy of a luxury atelier is, is major. So they pay massive attention to every little detail. Um, and then from there on, I kind of, my journey, it was, I was constantly trying to, to chase the next best thing. I was trying to well, I was trying to work my way up, really, the fashion industry. Um, and it was there I realised that I wanted to do design, that the atelier wasn't necessarily for me. Um, and I missed the kind of creation of, of designing. So I got a job then, an, another job as an assistant designer to, um, it, was a, it was a small contemporary brand, but 
it was again amazing to see all of the different sides of the the business where I was in one room and everything was in that room so sales marketing you know all the all the production um which is great but in the end I just ended up I think it, they call it Paris syndrome where I fell out of love um I fell out of love with Paris and I, I I didn't see myself there long term so I was thinking you know what head back to Ireland save a little bit and uh my next goal was London so that was where uh that was where I was I was set on so I came back to Dublin did a short stint in a high street brand a six-month design stint and then I got a job in London and tell me about getting disillusioned with fashion. And you you fell out of love with Paris, but it kind of you also fell out a bit out of love with the whole industry because you were seeing things that just weren't sitting well with you. So when did that first start to materialize and how did it manifest? Really from really from day one of my career, um I, I, I began to fall out of love with the industry. Um it was it was a lot to do with my own personal journey on reading what was happening in the industry and keeping up to date with with the problems and the issues that we were facing. But also my own personal experience, my own personal waste as a designer and an ethics that started to kind of make me feel guilty. And, and, and really what it was kind of the you know, my experience in these brands was very hands-on. So I was not only designing, but I was fitting the garments and I'd be there, you know, a garment would be on a model, a fit model, and I'd be altering it on the model. So it was a perfectly made garment. I would be kind of cutting into it here, marking it there, and really not thinking about how that was just deeming the garment completely unwearable um, and, and actually just in the bin. Um, and that wasn't even, that was just my own practices. Um, but also seeing rolls and rolls of fabric being just thrown out into regular bins because because it's last season. Why why would they use, you know, why would they use that fabric? It's Everyone has seen it. They need something new. Um, so it was really that. And I, I have to say, I did try and save as many fabric rolls as I saw in the bin. But there's only so much you can do at that point. And, um, and also, to be honest, it was the ethics as well. Like, I personally was part of this kind of horrible uh, su- supply, you know, supply chain, and where I was pressurizing garment workers to get these samples out because our shoot was in a week, or our show was in a week, and why aren't they ready? And it was constantly trying to get my designs onto a runway, but not actually considering who was making my designs and who was behind this, you know. Um, so really, it was in kind of my last job in London that, uh, which actually subsequently I was, I, I lost due, due to COVID and um, found myself unemployed uh, last year. But it was during that time that I was going through a real heavy kind of um, personal journey with sustainable fashion. Um, and I began not buying new. So I started to just completely buy secondhand or just not buy at all and um, reassess my own wardrobe. And that's kind of, where I came to start what I'm doing now um, and I guess as well you know with the industry right now it's such a toxic place um, and I didn't want to be a part of that. So then Laura because you've had that amazing behind the scenes um, experience that you can see it from you know we all think we know about fast fashion and the problems in the industry but you've seen it firsthand you've lived it you've actually been part of it as you said um, and now you're on the other side. What are some of the grim realities behind the clothes we're wearing? 
Can you tell us that? I don't want us to get all depressed, but because you're going to tell us how we can be better at the end as well. But just really, what do people need to be very aware of when they're talking about we're all delighted dying for pennies to open back up, for example? So, <laughs> yeah, at every stage, we have to remember at every stage in garment production, there's an environmental cost and there's an ethical cost. So, you know, when we're talking about fast fashion, um, the between the pollution to the environment, the waste, the toxins that it creates, um, you know, 10% of the global carbon emissions are down to the fashion industry. So that is massive. Um, and there's also the human side. So there's the health of the workers that are affected by all of these toxins and the chemicals, but also the exploitation and the terrible working conditions in these garment factories in developing countries. Take the Rana Plaza disaster of 2013, for example, um, which is where um, a garment factory in Bangladesh, there was structural issues seen in one day um, in, the fa- in the whole building. Um, and because of the pressure that the garment workers were under, they were um, told to come into work the next day. They had to produce these clothes in time for this, for this company, this fast fashion company. And lo and behold, the next day, the whole building collapsed. Um, It killed over 1,000 people. And, um, you know, just all of this was because the Western world needs fast fashion garments. And, you know, alongside that, uh, there's a massive, you know, fast fashion is is a feminist issue at the heart of it. 80% of garment workers are women, women aged between 18 to 24. And um, they're subject to horrific conditions um, in the factories, but also, you know, there's a lot of uh, sexual exploitation and harassment in the workplace. Um, And, you know, long days for little pay, most of them earn under $2 a day. So, and then that leads me to the economic imbalance of the industry. You know, for example, just to put it into context, a fast fashion CEO earns in four days what a garment worker earns in their lifetime. So it just puts into perspective the actual inequalities there as well. Um, you know, and, and without these inequalities, fast fashion couldn't be a thing. Without exploitation and, and uh, environmental impact, fast fashion cannot exist. So um, we really have to think about that, I guess, when we're, when we're looking at, at brands, you know, that are in that realm um, and, and think about... I feel like we've been become so detached from the garment. So as as people, we see garments now almost like machines make them. Um, and I feel like it's getting back to before fast fashion where we have to appreciate, you know, the farmer that grew the fabric, the garment worker that sewed it or pattern cut it, the factory owner that that's trying to make a living in a third world country, um, you know, the designer in the brands that actually design these things. It's just about seeing it as a whole and realising the supply chain and realising what the real cost of that is. So that's what you're working on now. On the one hand, you're developing products for people to use, you're altering clothes, but it's also this informational bit as well where you've done all this reading and you're trying to educate people. Like your recent Instagram post was exactly on that, wasn't it? About how much a CEO in fashion earns versus in a lifetime, how someone working in one of the factories. So 
give us some good news in terms of anyone listening with, I mean, I think the pandemic is such a good time to talk about this because we've all been in a way, I don't know, I can only speak for myself. We've been kind of existing in the same few outfits. Like we haven't been having that thing to go out and present in the world. So we've seen how really in terms of clothes, we don't need that much is the first thing I would say, but also how a lot of the clothes that we have maybe aren't fit for purpose. They're not actually things that we need to have or they're not serving us. We're not wearing them. So what are you hearing from people at the moment? And what would you like to tell people listening when they look at their clothes or when they're thinking, can't wait to get back into pennies and buy loads of cheap stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think also the pandemic has been a positive uh, a positive thing in a way for people to reassess, to have the time to reassess their wardrobe and to reassess their consumer habits. Um, I think a lot of people I've seen anyway with my followers and my customers have only started buying pre-loved clothes during the pandemic. And I think the closure of shops has also contributed to that as well. Um, So it's like a physical (laughs) impossibility. But also people are starting to be more mindful of smaller businesses and, you know, how we were doing too much. We were consuming too much. We were producing too much. Um, And it's been a great thing for, for that in that sense. But what I would say is that you know, we currently have enough clothes in the world to last us billions of years. So there are far too many clothes. I can speak for myself when I have far too many clothes in my wardrobe. And I know a lot of people are the same. Um, And I think it's just about reshifting our mind to think of our wardrobe differently. So reassessing our current wardrobes and thinking, thinking mindfully about our clothes that we currently have, you know, why do we feel like we need something new? Why haven't we worn that garment in two summers and it's coming up to the third summer and we still haven't worn it? And I think we can do so much with our current wardrobe. We can actually change so much about it. And our Instagram will show that, you know, from our transformations, we do a transformation Thursday where we take a a piece of clothing and we completely redesign it and make it something else. And what I always go back to is that you bought that garment at a certain point, for some reason, you liked it for some reason. So whether it was the fabric or whether it was the shape of it or something. So how to fall back in love with that garment is really important to try and address. Um, Because, you know, also shopping secondhand is honestly, it will give you the same new feeling as you got. And especially if it's in good, good nick, like, you know, if it's in good nick, if it's something you love, you don't need that new garment. Um, and yeah, I think the most important thing is it looking at our current wardrobes. OK, um, now I need to talk to you about greenwashing, too, because it's, it's something we see. It's very trendy now to be talking about the things that you're talking about. And there's a lot of companies getting in on the act and saying, oh, you know, we're doing this range. It's all very there's no, you know, garment workers harmed in the making of these clothes or whatever. Do you see a lot of uh, disingenuous kind of behavior going on in that realm? Absolutely. Yeah. Greenwashing um, is everywhere. So not only in the fashion industry, it's, you know, between your washing up liquid, your tea bags, your cars, everywhere. Um, I think the most important thing in this area, because it can get quite negative, I find, when people start talking about this. I think it's the most important thing is is providing people with with ways on how to spot it. Um, you know, it, we're not going to combat greenwashing. Um, when people talk about things being sustainable um, or being eco-friendly, there's very little evidence or there's very little evidence needed to back that up. So, you know, it's very easy to call something sustainable without actual data behind it. So the problem that we're facing is now consumers aren't sure of how to make the smartest choices. So they don't actually know what to believe. Um, And do you know what? I think that 
it's it's something that we can definitely learn, but there's also an element that we actually there's no way of telling whether a company is being um as being genuine or not. From my own experience, I have actually personally greenwashed um for a brand that I worked for. And in that situation, I couldn't see how the consumer could see that we were weren't telling the truth. I think rule of thumb is that fast fashion can never ever be sustainable. You know, the production times, the speed, the the cost, it can never be a sustainable business model. Um, so that's just one thing to kind of go by rule of thumb, I think, if you're not sure at times. But for people how to spot it, I always say, um, look for numbers. So, you know, if a company is genuinely committed to being sustainable and being ethical, they'll have their numbers down, they'll have their goals and targets ready for you. They'll know what percentage of their fabrics is sustainable, isn't sustainable. Um, look for certs. So certs are great. Um, I speak about this in my greenwashing um, IGTV but certs can be amazing. So like the Fair Fair Trade Foundation cert is amazing. The Cradle to Cradle cert. Um, but then there are some certs that um, businesses can, can pay for. So brands can actually pay to get um, certain certificates that tell people that they're sustainable, um, which isn't great. But but there's a list on my Instagram as well of, of actual genuine certs. Um, the latest trend as well is brands, fast fashion brands, focusing on the fact that they're using organic cotton. Um, when yes, their organic cotton is much better than conventional cotton, but they have no evidence to back up any sort of uh, uh, supply chain of the organic cotton or certs from the organic cotton. And also on the side, they're still doing the terrible practices that they were doing before. You know, they're still exploiting their garment workers or not paying them a living wage or, you know, the factory conditions are terrible. So when they're focusing on one tiny element, um, we have to be aware that there's other things going on in the background. And if they can't be transparent, there's an issue. Yeah. So Laura, give us some practical things people can do if they're thinking, okay, maybe I don't want to be going rushing out to the fast fashion outlets. Maybe she's right. She's onto something here. What some A lot of people just don't know there's a whole world out there that is pre-loved and there are other options. So can you give us some tips and tricks for people? Yes, I love tips and tricks. So when if if first of all, if you're going to brave the charity shops, because that's the main, you know, physical place that you can get secondhand fashion. Um, if you're going to approach them, my tip is to look at the fabrics before you actually grow through all of the clothes, because I do think they can be an intimidating place for some people. They don't want to spend the time looking through or they don't. Yeah. So I think look for fabrics, know the fabrics that you like yourself. Um, maybe you like linen or maybe you like silk and watch out for them. Um, also, it can help to make lists of what you actually need in your wardrobe. So do you need a white t-shirt or do you have five? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like back to kind of really readdressing what you have already and making space for what you what you want. Um, you know, whether that's donating back or swapping with your friends. Um, that's actually great as well. Swap, I mean, COVID has, has made it a bit difficult, but I used to love swapping with my friends. Um, and swapping, I found, made me fall back in love with garments when I saw them on someone else. Um, I found <laughs> it's like, hold on, how did I, how did I not love that before? Um, so, you know, it's all about perspective. And also, um, you know, Instagram is great. It really is to follow people, sustainable fashion influencers and people around the area. Um, I think it plays a big role because suddenly you see that it looks great and that you, it looks really cool and that you get, in, you got ideas, you get inspired. 
Laura, I have to ask you as someone who's um, I what what way would I describe myself? My a woman in a bigger body or whatever way, whatever. I'm happy with myself, but the point is, I would love to shop in secondhand uh, clothes, and I would love to go and get all that stuff. But I have to say, I find it even worse than the the main shops for size inclusivity, and I know friends who would be you know similar sized it's it's difficult is there anything out there for people like me or other people who aren't maybe in the conventional sizes that you used to be pinning on models you know yeah absolutely this is a this is an issue that I talk a lot about on my Instagram which is size inclusivity in the sustainable industry and it's it's a complete issue um and this is one of the issues as well with fast fashion is that fast fashion does include bigger sizes um, so we do need to address the fact that that is a complete gap, um, uh, inclusivity in general, to be honest, with, you know, size, race, disability. The sustainable fashion industry is targeted at straight size white women, for sure. Thank you for saying that. This really makes me feel a bit better because I have to say it's something that turns me off even going down that road. I mean, I love all what you're saying about looking at the wardrobe and I know you alter clothes as well, which is something that, you know, every size can get involved in. But it does seem a bit like um, elite or something, the whole sustainable thing. Absolutely. And it's actually one of my goals with Studio Minty from the beginning. Um, I recognised, to be honest, I heard a lot of horrible things during my time in the industry from different designers or creative directors saying, the different things about plus size and you know at one point we were trying to hop on another trend of um the the greenwash the sustainable trend and my boss was uh, was open now to creating bigger sizes so I was saying great we can now sample and and find models to model them and it'll be really great and and I was I was I was um so shocked really when she came back with I had been searching for plus size models for to show all the garments and made a list and she came back with oh I didn't mean that plus size and oh, I just my heart is hurt to hear that but I'm not surprised but it's so degrading and you know dehumanizing making people feel like we don't want those kind of people in our clothes that's disgusting almost like Absolutely. And it's it's one of my frustrations that has just stayed with me because I now see designers coming out with new collections and they're still not creating above size 16, which is just disgusting. It's It, it just makes you wonder what the message is they're trying to achieve because in terms of work, it's not, it's not that much work to pattern grade a size or four sizes above the average. Isn't, and the average size in the UK is a size 16. I don't understand why people aren't, designers aren't seeing this. Um, and when people like, so when I source for pre-loved clothing that I sell, it's my main goal, to be honest. Um, the first thing I look at is what can I get in bigger sizes? Because there's so little out there. Um, and when I see people that have the ability to create newness, so I can't create new clothes. I can, you know, only go from what's already in the world. But when people have the ability to create newness and they're not creating bigger sizes, it's just this vicious circle. How are we supposed to ever change if these new designers aren't aren't feeling it? Like, yeah, um, no, that, that's really great to hear you say that. And I'm so glad you're you're trying to work on that. But obviously, it's an uphill battle. It's just it's an area that really needs to to people need to work on. But before you go, I need you to be able to plug your own services, too, because I think a lot of people listening will be interested in what you can actually do for them. Because what you're talking about is people have stuff in their wardrobe that they're not wearing, but it's not to say that if 
if it was tweaked or altered to a certain degree that they might fall in love with it again. And that's what you where you can come in. So tell people about what you actually can do if they're looking at the wardrobe and going, I hate everything in here and I'm, I have to go back into the world and I don't want to spend loads of money on crap. Absolutely. So what I do is I redesign your wardrobe. So if you have a dress, let's say, and maybe you, maybe it's not your size anymore. Maybe you now like puffy sleeves instead of straight sleeves. Maybe you want it into a top and a skirt instead. Maybe you'd wear it more as, as a two-piece. Um, I can do that for you. And, and you don't need to be a designer. I can do that, that work. Um, you know, I can offer solutions. And you just tell me what you love about the garment. You know, what, what was it that you bought it for? And um, I can do the rest. And it's really, the aim is that we're really trying to extend the life of the current your current garments. So what would make you wear that garment more um, and and to, to its full extent? So, you know, we've done a lot of actually people come in with their mums, let's say vintage dresses or tops. And first of all, they're definitely too small because vintage sizes are like minuscule. Um, but also they're just, you know, they're not contemporary. They don't feel like they'd wear them, but they love the fabric and they love the sentiment. So I've taken a long, a long maxi dress, a vintage dress from a girl. And she said, I'd love a skirt, a midi skirt, elasticated. So it's really comfy and a little cropped up. And I've done that and she's worn it so much since. Um, <laughs> so it's just really nice. And she still has the sentiment of her mum's dress, um, which I love. That sounds fantastic. Listen, people can find you on Instagram, right? Um, it's Studio Minty. You're there, you're giving the great information, but you're also providing this brilliant service. Um, so it's a one-stop shop if you want to try and, you know, think in a different way about your clothes. Tell me about your outfit before you go, because you're wearing a lovely green jumper. And I'm just going to check now. It's not from uh, one of the fast fashion outlets. <laughs> so it actually is. <laughs> it's very old, though. It's about four years old. Um, it's from Zara. And you know what? It's one of the pieces that I have constantly been reviving. So I bought a fabric, a knit shaver. Um, so it's an electronic uh, shaver for knits. And basically, you know, when they go all bally, like there's kind of like, um, you basically shave it and it's like new. It looks um, like new. I mean, I can't believe that jumper is four years old. Like things I've had for six months have those horrible balls going on. That's why wool is yeah. such a difficult uh, material to keep looking good isn't it absolutely but this shaver will change your life I tell you and it's it's just extended it so long honestly I wear it so much um and I'm just wearing so you're not averse to going into Zara Laura and buying something it's just about where you go with it in terms of not throwing it out or not buying loads of things what's your own habits yeah so I don't buy any new I haven't bought new in over over a year and a half now um and I wouldn't so I I think I don't have any problem with buying secondhand fast fashion it's the clothes are already in the world. Let's keep them there. Let's wear them as much as they can, as we can. But um, it's when we're directly supporting the fast fashion brands that creates a little bit of an issue. But at the same time, I absolutely don't judge anyone for buying it. Everyone has their own reasons, um, be it size, be it cost. Um, what I have an issue with is the brands themselves. Um, and, you know, when it comes down to the influencer model of, of promoting, you know, giant holes of these brands, that's where it gets a little, a little uh, troubling, troubling, problematic. Probably, there's a few yeah. words. <laughs> Laura, thank you so much. Um, I want you to give a big women's podcast hello to Phil. I just love the fact that she's still sitting there, you know, doing her thing and creating. And I'm sure it's something that's led to her long life and the fact that she's 
got a passion and has a pa- had a passion for so long. Maybe she'll come on the women's podcast sometime. Oh my God, she would be delighted to hear you say that. <laughs> she is going to be ecstatic. She'll be in there sewing, listening to this. <laughs> so funny. Thank you Brilliant. for that. Well, Laura, so I think you're doing an incredible thing, making it accessible, making people understand what the issues are. But like you say, not judging anyone either, because we're all living in the world trying to get by. But I think there's a lot more that we can do that that is actually doable. And I'm going to certainly have given me so much to think about. So, Laura, thanks a million and the best of luck. Thanks, Roisin. It was so lovely chatting. That's Laura Egan there from Studio Minty and you can find her on Instagram where she is talking an awful lot of sense. That's it for today. Make sure you join us at 7pm tonight, Thursday, May 6th for our 500th Older and Bolder episode and do tweet about it using the hashtag ITOlderBolder. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, Jennifer Ryan and Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast or email us with suggestions of issues we should be covering on the Women's Podcast podcast at irishtimes.com the women's podcast at irishtimes.com that's our email mind yourselves and i will talk to you next time ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.